Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads. Love where you live. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. So I hope you're all doing well and you're managing through these stressful times. You know, despite this new normal, I guess, I think we need to remember we're still all under a lot of stress. And we're now going on two years of a lot of uncertainty and ups and downs during this pandemic. And after a while, it just starts to feel like this is life. While that's somewhat true and we will never be the same as we were before, you know, I sure know I've changed, um, as I'm sure we all have. The way we see and approach life, you know, we still know that these times are stressful and we're dealing with a lot. You know, my twins actually had to change back to schooling from home for the past 10 days after a classmate tested positive for COVID. They're finally going back to the classroom tomorrow, and all of us are very excited for that. But it's definitely uncertain times for all of us, for sure. You know, instabilities with the work environment, with kids in school and out of school, all kinds of things. We still can't do life the way we used to. We still can't go see people the way we used to. Everything is still very different for us. You know, my daughter's about to do a swim meet and parents aren't allowed on deck. Like, I just miss doing all those things. And I think it's just been so stressful for so long. And this is kind of the way it is now that we forget, even though I know we still feel it. So just remember that, you know, we're still all under a lot of stress and there's a lot of uncertainty that we're all dealing with. So, you know, just to remember that and give yourselves some, some grace with all of this pressure that we're under for sure. You know, I've definitely learned to be more flexible. I was always pretty flexible, but I've learned to be even more so to make changes at a moment's notice. And I don't think I actually shared the outcome, speaking of school struggles, that we were having with Chandler. I met with the principal and she had him moved into 
his sister's classroom, and he is so happy. It's definitely just a much better fit. So that turned out to be a relatively simple solution. Also, if you haven't heard or had a chance to check out the book, remember the Connected Parents Guide to Toddlerhood, Easy to Implement Fixes for Seven Common Toddler Challenges is now up on Amazon in both an ebook and print format, and I cover the gamut of all the basic issues that you will come up against in toddlerhood from ages about one to about five. So a four-year time span. It's a great go-to resource that I hope you all enjoy. I'm really excited to answer this question today. This is a new area I really have not dived into before. And that is dealing with kids who seem to be struggling with discipline. Now, with discipline, I mean by sitting still, following rules, following directions, that type of thing, especially in the classroom. What should we expect out of our kids by age? How do we know when the expectation is the issue versus when our children may need some guidance in this area? And then how do we address each of those? How do we address if the expectation is too much? How do we address guiding our kids and developing their skill if that's what's needed? So I want to thank Brett for sending in this really thought-provoking question. So Brett wrote in and he asked, Hi Erin, I have a question for your podcast if you're able to tackle this issue. I have a very spirited five-year-old who started school last fall. She's the youngest in her class as her birthday is in December. We've had some struggles throughout the year with her adapting to the structure of a formal school environment. She has trouble sitting still and listening, especially in the afternoons. I reached out to her early childhood educator from preschool for advice who said she needed to have choices. We were able to talk to the teacher early on, and rather than simply enforce timeouts, the teacher agreed to give her options, like cycling on a stationary bike in the classroom, sitting down with a basket of books, or going to sit at the teacher's desk, which was the original timeout. However, now that things have more or less worked out in her homeroom class, she's starting to test her music teacher, it appears. We received an email from him, and he said, I wanted to talk to you about Simone in music class. I called, but your voicemail is full. If you want to talk, please call me. I would like to ask you to I would like to ask for your support to help with her ability to follow directions and participate in class. I sent her to the office today because she won't follow simple directions and clowns around a lot. I normally give kids three warnings and then they're sent to the office. Here's what you would have seen in my class today. The class is sitting up doing a rhyme. She was laying down not participating. I asked her to sit up and she wouldn't. Next activity, the whole class sitting up singing a song and she was sitting on the ground after I asked her again to sit up. She doesn't respond. Then, when we were standing doing movement, she starts clowning for the class, which is distracting for everyone. Then I sent her to the office. This is not the first time this kind of thing has happened. I typically have to talk to her many times during a class to encourage her to participate and join in with the rest of the class, but she won't listen and just does her own thing. Mora has had her write a card and apologize after class and told her to listen and follow directions. Please give me a call if you'd like over the weekend, or we can talk during parent-teacher interviews if you prefer. I'm trying to figure out how to deal with this. I've talked to her and asked her why she wasn't listening but can't get a clear answer. I've asked her to listen, not really sure what else I can do or how to approach the music teacher. I understand he needs the class to listen and participate. I'm just feeling a bit out of my depth in terms of how I can ensure that. She's a very active and determined child, very much loves unstructured play and isn't a great at following rules and directions. I love her vivacity and intelligence, but, but wish I could make her understand that there are times she needs to follow rules and listen. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Many thanks from a faithful listener, Brett. 
Okay, so this is a really important question. And thank you again, Brett, for sending this one in. So we all know that we as humans, adults, and children who will need to grow up and function in an adult world will need to follow certain rules and expectations and directions. You know, they have their place and they're important for the society to function well, like traffic laws and work hours so we can collaborate when needed, general manners and kindness and politeness. But sometimes this can feel like a gray area and this is one of those instances for me. Is this child in need of some guidance for learning to have more discipline when expected? Or does she just seem to march to the beat of a different drum and therefore these expectations of her would be stifling for her individuality? Now, as a former child myself and a parent, I probably don't have to enlighten anyone here that children are often bored and uninspired in the school setting every day all around the world. Is that the child's problem or is that an issue we adults should be working on to fix? Most kids, bored or uninspired, or what have you, can just buck up and manage to stay within the expected behavioral limits. There's often that one kid, though, in class who just can't do it. So it's interesting because a video came across my feed just today. It was one of Chandler and Taylor in Dan's class. They were three years old, I believe, at the time, maybe four. I think there were three. So Taylor had wanted to do dance, and I signed her up for a ballet tap combo class. Chandler, of course, went with me at the time, and he watched a few classes and decided he wanted to do it too. So I signed him up as well. As I watched the video, I just laughed because it was so Chandler. I actually invited him over to watch it because this is just who he is. He was different right out the gate. So Taylor's going along doing everything the teacher is instructing in her cute little tutu and tights, clap high, clap low, tap, tap, tap. Chandler, on the other hand, is spinning in circles. Then when they start to move around the room, stomping backwards, jumping backwards with their tap shoes, he joins in. When they get back around the going around the room, he decides he isn't really interested in whatever's happening. And so he stands against the mirrored wall. Now I laughed again, I laughed. I called him over to watch it because this is, he's always been this way. He wants to do stuff if it interests him, and if it doesn't, well, he doesn't. He doesn't have a problem going against the grain of what anyone else is doing. And it's not rude, it's not destructive, he just chooses to bow out and doesn't understand why he has to do something if it isn't connecting with him. So Chandler is my child who just doesn't have the capacity for whatever reason to just focus and pretend when he's just not feeling it. And I think that's okay. I think it's more than okay. I think these are the kids who are sending the signal to lead us adults and their peers into a future that is closer to what it should be. Now, this subject is so deep. It's so intricate. So I'm just going to graze the surface today. And I do look forward to digging into this topic more over subsequent episodes if this is of interest to, um, enough, to enough parents out there. But this is the type of stuff that excites me. This is the type of stuff that helps us help our children to build a better future for everyone, helps them connect with their own gifts and their talents and their potentials in life. And there's a lot of answers that we don't have yet. There's a lot of answers that I think us as adults, we really need to start digging into around this. So I want to start with what is expected and why. Obviously, we don't want to raise kids who are just selfish and spoiled and think they can do whatever they want whenever they want and can shirk doing something whenever they just don't feel like it. That's not the point at all. Because if you've been listening 
any amount of time to my podcast, you know I feel it's really important for kids to have expectations and to have boundaries and rules. And I give a lot of guidance on how to set those and keep those in your family with love and respect. So I feel it's important to discuss this piece first. And once we have the rules in place and we know why we have those rules in place and those expectations, that's when we can start to think deeper about when or why sometimes some rules or expectations may not make the most sense, if that's actually the case or not. And I'm gonna get to both of these right after our word from our sponsors. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep, and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T. P-U-R-O-A-I-R dot com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA 14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Now that we're back, 
I'll start with basic rules and expectations and reasons behind them as I see it in raising my children. So then I'm going to get into how we can look more deeply at our child as an individual and when and how we may want to guide in the area of teaching more discipline and structure and rules and when we may want to look at things with a different paradigm and how to address that if we feel like that is the way to go. So first, some basic expectations in the home. So these are, as always, age-dependent, but these are things we work on and our expectations will increase as they age. In general, I would expect a toddler to be able to go to bed and stay there on their own until they fall asleep. This is something we have to work towards many times in toddlerhood. It takes some guidance with most toddlers, but they are capable of this. Now, this is important because sleep is a very important part of our body's ability to recover and regenerate as an adult and as a child. Now, for children, it's also important for their development in all areas, physical, cognitive, language. This is when everything at the end of the day that they've been working so hard on will integrate. So they really need to learn how to sleep and sleep well. Learning to fall asleep and stay asleep is an important life skill. And so getting this in good working order early on in toddlerhood will serve them positively now and throughout life. It also serves us as parents to have that downtime, which is really important. Helps us be better parents, helps us run a better household, keeps the stress down for everyone. That's why that is just really important. And the same thing goes for opportunities to develop things like healthy eating habits and physical activity habits, learning to take responsibility for their daily routines, their hygiene, getting ready in the morning for the day or for bed in the evenings, cleaning up after themselves when they get things out to play or they grab a snack for themselves as they get a little older, um, or when they're getting things out to look at them or do research. These things make sense. We clean up after ourselves. We put things away. We take care of ourselves. These are our rules and expectations that absolutely make sense that we are working on throughout these childhood years. And then we add in some more as they become teenagers and start to get ready to launch into the world. But we have social expectations as they age for taking turns and sharing, for learning how to work through these scenarios, um, for learning how to problem solve, how to negotiate, how to collaborate, to not engage in activities that they would not like others to do to them, like grabbing toys, hurting another person or their things or their creations. So we teach these things and we work on them. So now our children start entering the wider world of school. And then in elementary school, it becomes academic. And I feel it's important to make a couple of general observations and points here about our current state of these institutions and navigating them before I start parsing out when we need to help our children work on discipline and focus and the reasons behind any struggles in this area versus when the expectations are out of alignment and how to navigate this. So I'm going to start with preschool, even though I know that Brett's daughter is not in preschool anymore, but this is helpful in understanding kind of the flow of the development. So when they're in preschool, the preschool years should be focused on play-based learning, which includes social interactions, collaboration, negotiation, problem solving. And they should never be academic in nature at all in the form of worksheets and lectures, etc. Play-based learning is fine. Learning academic concepts through play, jumping around in a circle and landing on a letter, saying what that letter is and the sound it makes or a word that starts with it, those are great. It's through play. It should also always be an option to not participate. If it's story time and the child would rather play quietly with the blocks, she should be allowed to do so. And actually the best case 
is an invitation to join story time, an invitation to join in the science activity with magnets, but they should be allowed to also continue whatever it is that they're currently doing. This is the example of what an amazing developmentally based preschool with directors and teachers who understand how to best support child development at these ages would look like. Now we move to elementary school. All of a sudden, kids are expected to sit still, follow directions and rules. The truth is this type of attitude, one of invitation to participate, inspiring the child to explore their interests or explore how they want to learn the concepts and abilities through a more open play-based environment should continue. And it should be a slow transition in the early elementary years towards a more structured classroom environment not a cold turkey from this play-based, invitation-based environment to all of a sudden, here's this expectation, sit still, listen, listen to what I'm saying, do what I say. In most schools, this is just not the case, however. Now, as I mentioned, most kids can make this shift and at least feign a moderate amount of interest in what's happening in the classroom, but that doesn't make it developmentally appropriate. Then in almost every class, there is a child like my Chandler, or like Simone, who is letting the teacher know that this is just not doing it for them. They're likely showing what at least a third, if not more of the class is actually feeling. So I'm gonna talk about when I was a kid, because I remember being pretty bored in school as a child. Very rarely would school capture my interest. I was a good student, I was a very intelligent student, but I was one of those kids that I could just zone out. So I would sit quietly. It would look like I'm listening. It would look like I'm paying attention. It would look like I'm learning. I am zoned out. And I would kind of tune in every, I don't know, couple minutes to kind of listen. And I'm like, okay, I know what they're talking about. I would go right back to whatever daydreaming I was doing. It was not engaging for me. And I know I'm not alone. Unfortunately, because most kids can manage to control their behavior, it looks like the kids aren't focusing and who aren't behaving are the issue rather than what's happening in the classroom. It's a lot easier to make that child the scapegoat than to address the system in the classroom. That perhaps the expectation that a young child who is clearly disinterested is supposed to know how to control their behavior and pretend to listen and to make life easier on the adult leading the classroom. Now, I also am definitely not putting all the onus on the individual teacher in these types of scenarios in the classroom, not by a long shot. This is a very difficult job. You've got a classroom full of, at minimum, 20, but usually closer to 30 individuals who have different interests, different talents, different ways of learning. And so teaching to all of these different minds is a very difficult job, but it's a particularly difficult job in the current system. This is a systemic issue that comes down from the district or above the district level in the school systems that we have today. So what we really need to start to do is to address the system. Now, this is a big thing and I'm not asking parents to do this. All I'm doing is this is really just food for thought for a lot of parents. Now, the good news is there are options and I'm gonna talk about that in a few minutes, but I wanna make a couple other points before I get to, to that. First is that this may be a two-pronged issue. Is it that the child needs a little bit of work on sitting still a little bit longer or learning to follow some directions? Perhaps, however, 
it is most likely that the learning style or the um, material needs to be taught in a way that is intriguing to that student. And so, as I said, you know, this child is really only showing what most of the kids in the class or a lot of kids in the class are probably already feeling, but know how to just sit there and either like myself zone out or just go ahead and go ahead and, and go through the motions to. Also, if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know how I feel about forced apologies and having a child write a letter to apologize for basically being who they are, for showing that they're just not interested and just trying to figure out a way to keep their own minds busy, their own very, probably very intelligent, very inquisitive mind busy during a time that it's just not being engaged is really not fair. It's not a fair thing to do. And I almost guarantee she learned absolutely nothing from that. Um, There's an awful lot of school systems and um, administrators in schools who really don't understand child development and how that this is really not a positive thing for the child's development in the long run. All they learn to do is to feel bad about who they actually are. Lastly, on the same thought train that I'm on is Um, There are many people who probably gave their teachers a very difficult time in school. And, you know, we're talking about people like Richard Branson, like Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, who were probably very consistently bored, consistently curious, obviously very bright minds with a lot of potential that the classroom is very unable to meet the needs of a lot of these types of children, at least the way the system is set up now. So as parents, what can we do to even start to address this when we're not in the room? At what point or to what degree do we guide our child to proper classroom behavior and how if we're not there at the time? So I'm going to talk about young children, first of all. So with young children, we have no control over the behavior in the classroom. None. Zero. Zilch. You can't tell a five-year-old or a six-year-old or seven-year-old at 8 a.m. to behave in class at 2 p.m. and expect that they're going to remember. I mean, heck, you can't even expect them to remember by 8.30. The minute they walk out the door, it's it's gone. So I remember having this discussion with my son's first grade teacher because we were having this struggle. She wanted me to help him learn to behave in class. And I asked her if she couldn't get him to focus when she's right in front of him, how did she expect me to be able to help him at 7.30 in the morning for a two o'clock in the afternoon? The kid was six years old at the time. So in this case, we met with the principal and the teacher and we discussed tools that she could use to help him refocus during the time he was struggling. Now, I know it's not fun or easy when the teacher just wants to get through the material to have a child to refocus who is struggling with that, either because they're bored and they don't understand the material and they don't know what to do. So the most important thing here, the first step here, I would say is to have a discussion with the child. And I know, Brett, you tried to do this. There's certain ways to address these questions that sometimes can help garner some answers. We don't want to lead the question. You know, we don't want to say something like, I know you're having trouble in class. Is it because you're bored? Well, they're going to be like, yes, it's because I'm bored. Like, we don't know what the answer is. We don't know what's going on. So to ask them, so I'm going to use Chandler as an example. So, you know, I we met with the teacher and with Chandler and we sat down and, and I said, Chandler, Miss Roxbury tells me you're having some trouble staying focused during quiet work time in the afternoons. Can you tell us why you think that might be happening? So first of all, this sets an example about how you address your child in your home as a respected individual who knows and understands themselves and their motives better than anyone else. It gives the child a chance to share what they're thinking and feeling in what hopefully feels like a safe space. 
Now for Chandler, it was often because he was bored. It was usually a concept that was very easy for him. So by the 10th worksheet, he was just over it. Again, this is a kid who, if he felt like it wasn't something that he wanted to do, he wasn't going to do it. it wasn't that he didn't want to learn it, he'd already learned it. And he didn't really love worksheets also. Worksheets were just a struggle for him. It was, it was very rote, boring work for him. Sometimes it's because kids are struggling and they don't know what to do. They don't even know how to approach it. So then they start acting out, doing something else, acting silly, because that's way more fun than sitting there and struggling with one, some type of work that they have no idea how to get started on. Sometimes it's because the subject matter is just not capturing their interest, whether it's the way that it's being taught, whether it's not done in their learning style, whatever it is, at least you can start to figure out what's going on and go from there. So helping work with a child to figure out what is what is this about. Now, again, you have to remember you're working with a brain that is really doesn't have an understanding of the world that you do. So it might be that the material could be interesting and ta if taught in a different way. It might be that this child learns more by hands-on and they're being lectured to. They're being taught in an auditory manner or by watching. And for a lot of kids, this is a tough row. They just don't get it that way. They want to be hands-on. So, you know, there are ways of teaching kids, and this is asking a lot. Again, you're asking this teacher to kind of switch out the way they do things, and that's a really difficult ask. It very rarely goes that way. However, it's just some things to keep in mind. So a, cu a couple more points here, actually. The, the first one is that comes to mind is it is possible that there is... Um, an issue with attention span and with impulse control, which often gets diagnosed as ADHD. And we had that in our house, that was Chandler. However, he does amazing in school, he does great in school when it's taught in a way that's engaging to him. He just isn't able to engage when it's not interesting. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Like I said, I think that it's really important that we as adults start thinking about how do we capture children's interest and keep them engaged in the classroom material in a way that is interesting to them. That is really upon us as adults to try to do that. So that leads me to my next point. So there may be some ADHD or there may not, but um, if there is, there are ways to really work with kids who just aren't going to go along with you know, the status quo. They're not necessarily going to um, fit into the box and that's okay. The last point I have is I would love to dive into this a lot deeper if this is of interest again to all of you parents. So send some additional questions about any of these topics. We can dig in deeper. Send an email. Tell us you just want to hear more about any of the particular facets of this topic. I would love to go into it. But my last point is don't be afraid to look around for a better fit for your child. Now, depending on where you live, you will hopefully find a lot of school options that are even public school options if you don't have the private school option. I mean, we certainly don't. We can't afford private school, especially for three kids. So that just has never been an option for us. But there are a lot of public school options. Where we used to live, there was not much at all. There was um, the district up there worked really hard to keep school choice to a minimum. So we actually had one charter school and that was it. You could move around to different schools in the district, but you couldn't, but there was really no options for other schools. Where we are now, there are charter schools and magnet schools galore. So we have a lot of school option here, and especially based on different children's learning styles, different children's interests. The school um, my twins are in right now is a international baccalaureate magnet school that has a focus on the arts, on dance, drama, design type of art. So 
there are just a lot of different options out there. There's science-based ones. There's, you know, science, I'm trying to say, sorry, STEM-based ones, science, tech, engineering, and math-based schools. So just based on your child's interest, you may find that that's a better option. You want to join parent groups on social media, ask lots of questions about their experiences. You'll find a lot of parents who have dealt with exactly what you're dealing with right now. It may feel like your child is the odd one out sometimes, but I guarantee lots of other parents have struggled through or are struggling through the exact same thing that you are and can give you a lot of guidance and share about what's worked for them or schools that they've looked into that were great fits for their kids, all kinds of things. It's a really great resource for us. I have found that the project-based charter schools have been the best fit for Chandler. We didn't get into the one of the ones that we tried to get into this year. It's fairly highly sought after, but we took another look at it. It's just opened up for next school year and he's already like asking to get put into that school. The school he's in now is great, but he would really, really benefit from these project-based learning environments. It's very open-ended. It's, it's very, they treat the kids with so much respect, with so much individuality on how they want to approach their learning. It is amazing for these kids who just don't seem to fit in the box that way. So they really hone in on these strengths. They allow them to explore learning in the ways that connect best with each child as an individual. So I, that works for us. That has been our experience so far anyway, but there's lots of options out there. So just because your child is struggling in an environment, you don't necessarily need to assume that it's your child and try to figure out how to make your child fit into that environment, fit into that box. You may wanna find an environment that's a better fit for your child. When you find an environment that fits better for your child, that's more engaging for your child, you will find that their behavior will absolutely change. So I have a couple of classes out there I recommend for this. Finding a preschool, if you still have a preschooler, I talk about looking for the preschool that is play-based, um, that is helps with social-emotional development, which is really what you want to be working on those preschool years. So that's a really good class for that. I also have a class on multiple intelligence and learning styles because we all have different areas of intelligence and we all have different styles of learning. And so I talk about the different styles of learning, the different types of intelligence, and you can start to see where your child falls. That can really clue you into which schools and which environments may or may not be a good fit for your child. And you may start to, um, it may open your eyes about, oh, wow, this is not a good fit for my child and maybe this is why. That's a great class. Of course, any of the other classes, if you're having struggles, bedtimes and nighttimes, healthy eating, positive discipline, 60 plus classes on the website at yourvillageonline.com. And also just remember that members do get to have weekly chats with me to ask and talk about all of these and many more subject matters that they're struggling with and we work through these things together, which is awesome and a lot of fun. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.